Hey everybody, welcome to episode 32 of the Three Point Threat. I am your host Jared Woodcox and uh, I will be joined here shortly by my colleague from the jnotes.com, John Kiefer. I have an exciting show in store for you guys today. Uh, For point one, John and I are going to give our thoughts first and foremost on the Jazz Rockets series. Um, Obviously didn't go the way that we had hoped, but it was still awesome to see the Jazz get that far and compete the way they did. Uh, Then for point number two, we're going to talk about what surprised us in the second round um, as a whole, and then also give our predictions for both the Eastern and the Western Conference Finals. Uh, So that'll be the second point. Then last of all for point number three, John and I are going to really dive into what's next for the Utah Jazz, what their offseason focuses need to be, and what they most need to look to change or improve. So with that being said, I'll welcome John here to the show, and let's get on with point number one. Point one. All right, so now I'm joined by my uh, J-Notes colleague, John Kiefer. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Glad to have you back on the show. It's been too long, man. (laughs) It has been. It's good to be back. Yeah, for sure. So uh, for point one, John and I, first and foremost, wanted to talk a little bit about the recently concluded Jazz Rockets series. Um, Obviously, it didn't quite end the way that we had hoped, especially in game five with Mitchell getting hurt in the final minutes. Uh, But John, I just wanted to hear, you know, overall, what were your thoughts on the series? Um, I thought it was a great series. It was one of those things that I think we all need to remember that we should just be grateful that the Jazz made it to the playoffs, made it to the second round, because a few months ago it didn't look like that was going to be the case. So yeah. I'm grateful that they were there and playing basketball in May. Uh, tough series. I think the biggest takeaway for me that um, I think a lot of people would agree with was that Utah's offense is something that needs to be worked on, um, but not necessarily their defense. Um, I was looking at it, and against Oklahoma City, they had an offensive rating of 106 and a defensive rating of 100.7, which are really good. It's plus six net rating. But then against Houston, that completely flipped. Their offensive rating was only a 99, their defensive rating was a 109. So I think there's a lot to be desired from the offensive side of the ball. What did you think? Yeah, no, I agree, and I really feel like the Jazz played well enough defensively to win a lot of the games that they lost. They just couldn't get things going offensively, like you said. You mentioned that our our defensive rating wasn't as good that series against the Rockets, and I think part of that was because the offense struggled. You know, since we couldn't do well on offense, we gave them a lot of easy opportunities in transition. Um, we weren't as able to set up our defense the way that we wanted to. So not only did the offense make it so that we didn't have enough firepower to beat them, but I also felt like you know it really hurt our defense from being as effective as it can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's the tough thing with the Rockets is their offense is just so good that you can't expect to keep them down every single game of the series. And I was looking at it, and in game four, our defensive rating was a 100, which that's an incredible defensive rating. You should win a game if your defensive rating is a 100. Um, NBA average is usually around 107. Uh, But our offensive rating was only 86.3, which was the lowest of the series. So game four, a home game, you hope to have a good offense showing. You hope to split your home games and extend the series a little bit more but the offense just wasn't there and I think the biggest thing is Houston they're just you got to give credit to them they're an incredible offensive team and we would have a good game game two is a good defensive game they'd make adjustments and they blew us out in game three we made adjustments in game four to have a good defensive game and then they once again in game five had a really good offensive game so you got to give credit to them yeah, and even with that, you know, we had chances to win games four and five, which I think people were, were kind of disappointed in that regard. But again, you have to go back to what you said initially, John. We have to remember the big picture. The fact that Jazz were playing in the second round um, after what happened last summer and how the year started is absolutely incredible. 
Um, you know, my, my two biggest takeaways on the series is, you know, first of all, I really wish we could have seen Ricky Rubio. Um, obviously we missed him, you know, immensely, especially on offense. I think it was pretty, you know, it was pretty cool to see Donovan Mitchell kind of, you know, thrown into the flames, having to run the offense as a point guard and get that experience. But we would have just been so much more dangerous with Rubio. And we all knew going in that this was going to be kind of a, you know, kind of a measuring stick series. I don't think anyone really expected us to win. Um, but it was hard for us to really measure where we're at um, compared to the Rockets without Rubio. If we would have been at full strength, I think it would have been a lot easier to kind of judge, okay, here's where we really stand against the Rockets. Here's what we need to improve. Um, you know, not saying we would have beat them with Rubio by any stretch of the imagination, um, but just having him there would have helped us gauge so much better what we need to do to get past them. Yeah, absolutely. I think with Rubio, maybe we steal game four, game five. Yep. Um, especially with points we made on offense. Ricky Rubio really helps our offense go with his decision-making and his passing ability, and he just gives us that additional playmaker that a lot of people feel we need. So, yeah. You know, I, it's, it's tough. You can't go back and change things, but it's still exciting to look forward and see what this Jazz team has in store for him. Yeah, I totally agree. Then kind of the last thing I'll touch on as far as my thoughts on the series, a lot was made of the Gobert-Capella matchup. And, you know, really Gobert didn't have a great series. Um, part of that, as you said, credit Houston for having a good game plan against him. Um, but the other part of that was I felt like at times Gobert wasn't supported well by his teammates. Like, especially on defense, there were a lot of times where, you know, the Jazz would not defend the pick and roll well. And all of a sudden, Gobert was, you know, he was supposed to stop both Chris Paul or whoever the ball handler was and stop Clint Capella. There was no way he could be in two places at once. So that wasn't really fair to him. Um, but I thought overall his defense was better than people gave him credit for. It was really on offense where Gobert hurt us. And I've said this a ton of times. I'll say it again. I really think for the Jazz to be a force, Rudy Gobert has to diversify a little bit more on offense. You know, he doesn't have to be obviously a shooter or, or necessarily even a back-to-the-basket post-up guy. But he's got to add something to his offensive repertoire that makes him a little bit more of a threat when he has the ball in his hands down low. Yeah, I thought that a lot, but I just don't know what he can add that's going to benefit the Jazz, I, I look at him and I worry that the best thing about Rudy Gobert is his ability to dive to the basket and mm -hmm. finish above the rim, and I worry that taking him away from the basket is going to take his best asset away, which is finishing it for him. Yeah. It's going to be tough, and I wonder if just more shooting from the Jazz will help that. Because if you space the floor a little bit more and give him more room to roll to the basket, probably looks a lot better on offense yeah yeah so I, don't, I don't know if he has to develop more of a back to the basket game or I, i've heard a lot of people say he should develop a just a little like 15 foot and still jump shot those would be nice things but i also feel like if the jazz just spread the floor a little bit more he's going to have more room to roll it's going to be easier for him to finish above the rim and we looked at what the rockets did with clint capella i don't think clint capella is any more skilled than rudy gobert on offense but he was much more effective in the series, and the main reason why was he has good point guards from the pick and roll, and everyone else is spread out so far that the health defense can't really come down. If the Jazz can mimic that a little bit more, he could be much more effective. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I honestly, I don't think that adding a jump shot is necessarily going to be, you know, revolutionary to, to Gobert's game. I think even just adding more simple things like, you know, practicing on catching the ball down at the rim, pump fake, and, and go up strong. That was a problem I had is there were some times where he yeah. just didn't go up strong. 
I would love to see him be a little less timid at the rim, maybe is a better way to put things. You know, a lot of times when Capella was on him, it was he'd have the ball there, and instead of trying to just go up strong and maybe get fouled or, or try to dunk it, he'd try to do like a little floater or have a little bit of a soft touch, and it just wasn't working. So I think just having him, you know, be more confident and develop more of a finesse and strength at the rim, that's, that'd be more what I want to see. Don't take him out of his strengths. Just take the strengths he has and improve them upon what he already has. I agree. I think that's key. He just needs to be more aggressive at what he's good at. And I mean, a couple times we saw him try to do those finger rolls that yeah. you're just laying it up there for Capella to block away. Yeah, exactly. The one, the one thing, last thing I wanted to point out was just that defensively, the game plan worked. What the Jazz wanted to do worked. They forced the Rockets into more uncomfortable shots that they're not used to taking. Um, I mean, we all know that Daryl Morey and his mastermind plan was we're going to shoot as many threes as we can and we're going to dunk the basketball that's mm-hmm. it that's all we're going to do on offense mm-hmm. but i was looking at it and the rockets attempted 30 percent of their shots from the paint non-restricted area and the mid-range mm-hmm. which was i believe about 11 percent more than they normally would during the regular season so the defense worked what we wanted them to do did work but they just have a player in chris paul that that's what he's best at, yeah. and that's something they didn't have in the past. And in the end, I mean, Chris Paul won them a couple games. Yep, especially game serious. five. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. But you know, I think as we touched on, um, the the cool thing here is, you know, if we stay healthy, if we have some internal improvement, add a couple pieces, I think we proved that we're not all that far away from competing with the Rockets. Yes, there's a clear gap there, um, but I think we're a lot closer than people thought we'd be at the beginning of the season. Now, the question with that is obviously, you know, does that mean, I guess we'll see, uh, this is Sunday that we're recording, so game one of of Houston Golden State um, is tomorrow, Uh, but we'll see, you know, whether Houston is as close to Golden State as we think or not, Um, but I think at least the gap between the Jazz and Houston is not that bad. Yeah, I think it's clear that Utah's the third best team in the West now. Yep, yeah, I agree. So, you know, kind of with that said, that really segues nicely into our second point, we're going to talk about, you know, the whole second round and, and what surprised us there, as well as our predictions for the upcoming conference finals. Point two. I guess, John, let's start with, you know, just kind of looking back towards the, the second round. What what surprised you, both in the East and the West? What what things kind of stood out to you? Um, I think the most obvious thing for me was Cleveland just destroying Toronto. Yep. Um, in my mind, that was the most surprising series, I think. So with the Jay Notes, we all did a prediction, and I think nobody had it less than six games. And in the national media, I don't think anybody would have predicted it to be less than six games. Mm-hmm. I mean, people thought Cleveland would win because LeBron James is just that amazing, but it was supposed to be a long series. And for them to go in and sweep the number one seed in Toronto, that just shocked me. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Yeah. It really just plays into the narrative of LeBron James and adds his legacy of potentially being the greatest or the second greatest player of all time. Yeah, for sure. It's just one of those things that for me, like I'm young enough that I didn't really get to watch Michael Jordan play, but I've been able to watch LeBron James play. Um, and it was just, it was a treat to be able to watch him in those series and just be as dominant as he was. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just for fun, I pulled up the RJ Notes picks, and I have to give a shout-out. Hayden Vandemat picked the Cavs in five, so he was the closest of anybody. But, yeah, nobody else picked it to go, you know, less than six. And I agree. I mean, I, I picked the Cavs to win that series, um, but the fact that they were just so, you know, that they dismantled the Raptors so easily was pretty crazy. Um, you know, honestly, though, game one, the Raptors had no business losing that game. They just totally collapsed, you know, down the stretch. 
And from there, it was kind of like mentally they knew they were toast. Uh, it felt like their playoff demons returned and they just couldn't bounce back. Um, some people were like, well, the Raptors are going to be mad and come back in game two. And, and they sure didn't. It was just over yeah. from there. And, you know, I, just, I think you said it right. I just So much has gone on with the Raptors over the last few years. It yep. reminds me of the Clippers before they kind of broke their team up where it's just a lot of mental things that you have to overcome. Yeah. They lost to... Cleveland, I think the two previous seasons as well in the playoffs. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. I think this is the third year in a row they've lost to Cleveland, and it's just a mental game. And obviously, it's gotten to them. They fired the coach, Dwayne Casey, even though every single year as a head coach, he's increased their win total. But I think what surprised me most was Cleveland really struggled against Indiana. And maybe that just tells us Indiana is a much better team than we thought they were. Or Cleveland, just near the end of that series, figured something out and they've clicked. And now they're just going to blow through Boston as well and get to their fourth straight NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, you know you know from interactions with me that the Pacers are the team I follow, um, you know, second most after the Jazz. And I really think that, you know... Like you said, one, it is a credit to the Pacers. I think they're a better team than most people realize. They had a really, really good second half of the season. Uh, they were peaking at the right time. Um, they prevent some some matchup challenges for the Cavs. So I think that's a huge part of it. But I also think another part of it is, I mean, you look now, Kevin Love and Kyle Korver are clicking. It's like, I think the Cavs have finally found a groove. Um, so I think that's part of it, too. Um, we'll talk predictions in a little bit about the, the Cavs-Celtics series. But, yeah, I agree that I honestly think that Pacers series is going to be the toughest one they have in the East. Um, because yeah. of both matchups and because the, the Cavs just weren't clicking yet, and now they certainly are. I agree. Have you heard, this kind of off topic, but have you heard the Paul George back to Indiana rumor? Yeah, that, I don't think there's any way that's happening. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, funny because... Yeah. It'd be interesting because I think that's something they could use to be another wing player. Yeah, for sure. That's something I've talked with some of my you know Pacer friends on Twitter about, is that you know Paul George, the player would be an absolutely perfect fit for that team. You put Paul George, the player, there, and they have that reliable wing, that second star with Oladipo, and yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but Paul George, the person, I think what we've seen the past two years, is, it's just not going to work. I, I feel like there's too many bridges burned there. Um, yeah. Although I don't, think, I don't think he would let Oladipo be the lead man anymore. Exactly. That back and, yep, I and agree. That's just asking for trouble. Yep, I agree. And it's it's kind of funny because it, we know it's probably not going to happen. Almost guaranteed to not happen. But how funny would it be though if the Pacers traded Paul George away to get Oladipo and Sabonis, and then just got Paul George back? So essentially, they gave yeah. him up. You know, I don't know. <laughs> not going to happen, but it's funny to think about. Um, but anyway, what about, did anything else surprise you? I mean, I guess I'll touch real fast. I thought the Sixers-Celtics series was a little bit surprising. I actually, yeah. I thought the Sixers would win, but I, I like, I wasn't like sold that, oh, they're totally guaranteed to win. Um, so I, I guess I wasn't surprised that they lost per se, but I was surprised that it was only a five game series. Um, the Celtics were totally ready for them. Um, yeah, there were some close games, but I just felt like overall the Sixers were overworked or excuse me, outworked. And uh, how about Ben Simmons having the worst plus-minus of any player on either team? He was a minus 63, or the Sixers were a minus 63 with him on the floor. They were a plus 48 with him on the bench. And, you know, I'm not really one for the whole Simmons-Mitchell debate, but I just, I can't believe how well uh, Brad Stevens and the Celtics just neutralized him, forced him into things where he's not comfortable, forced him to try to be a jump shooter, which he wasn't even willing to attempt those shots, and they just totally shut him down. Yeah, I think... Philadelphia's youth really showed in this series and the fact that they haven't really been there before. Yeah. And Boston is young as well, but out 
outside of Jason Tatum, most of their players were there last year as well. So they do have the added experience. And then also the coaching of Brett Stevens is Mm -hmm. another factor. But Ben Simmons, I I feel like coming into the playoffs, everybody said this was going to happen. Somebody was going to learn to coach him in a way that just forced him to either shoot shots or almost disappear. And that's what happened. He chose not to take the shots because it doesn't feel comfortable. And like you said, he had the second worst plus minus in the whole second round of the playoffs, too. So it's going to be tough going from here. I think Ben Simmons is going to have to learn to extend his game a little bit more. I don't know if he needs to shoot threes, but I think for him, the next step would be learning little floaters um, and also posting up. I was really surprised Ben Simmons didn't post up more. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the mismatch of him playing point guard, he's what six eight, six nine. He's going to be posting up against guys who are six four, six three. There's an obvious disadvantage there, but I will say going forward, Philadelphia, Boston, that looks to be an amazing matchup going forward because I think both those two teams just have the youth that year in and year out. They're going to be facing each other late to the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and then there's also the rumor about LeBron going to Philly, which would throw a whole other wrench in that thing. But yeah, yeah I agree. That, I got to say, that's the one that just makes no sense to me. <laughs> if Ben Simmons is your future and he's the best with the ball in his hand, I get LeBron James is one of the greatest players of all time. And if you can get him, you go after him. But. Mm-hmm. He needs the ball in his hands as well to be effective, and he would just be taking the ball over from Ben Simmons. I just, you've gone through this whole six year of the process. Mm-hmm. Why would you just throw that away and bring in LeBron James? That just, it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think, like you say, if you can get him, I mean, pretty hard to, to pass that up no matter what. But I think if you're talking about like long term trajectory and trying to fill a need, um, I saw a report today that the Sixers are, are, if they can't get LeBron, assuming they can't, they're going to go hard for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And honestly, I feel like a three, like one of those two, that would actually fit extremely well there and make them dang scary um, with, yeah. without taking away from what Simmons brings as well. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. And I think the other thing just in that series that we learned is that Jason Tatum is a stud. Yep. I think so many people have been talking about Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons and and rightly so, both of them were dominant all year. And Jason Tatum, he was talked about really early in the season, but then he just kind of faded away. And this is a reminder that he's going to be a future multiple-time All-Star. Mm-hmm. I mean, he averaged 23.6 points in this series and didn't have a single game below 20 points. Yeah. And he was amazing. Yeah, he's he's the real deal. And um, I know Celtics fans like to bring this up a lot, but but it's true. He's he's very young. You know, he has he's younger than both Mitchell and Simmons. Has a lot of room to grow too. So there's that as well. Um, and they traded him for Marco Fultz. He didn't even play. Yeah, which was bizarre. Honestly, I, I was kind of surprised that Fultz didn't even at least get a chance because he had he had a few flashes at the end of the regular season where you thought he could contribute. But I don't know. That's a, that's been a weird situation. What, what about the West? Anything in the West really surprised you? I honestly felt like the West was about it was pretty easy to predict and kind of went how we thought. Yeah, that, that was my thought. I, I wrote down a note that just both the Jazz and the Pelicans are on the cusp of breaking through next year. Um, and I, I do have a prediction to make. I think Anthony Davis, if he stays healthy, he wins MVP next year. That'd be cool. And he just he proved that he is just on that elite, top-level, top-five talent in the NBA if he could ever stay healthy and if the Pelicans can play like they played over the second half of the season and be a top four team in the West, I just, I feel like he's going to win MVP. I like it. I, I could see it too. I guess the, you know, 
this is more from the first round, but I was really impressed with Drew Holiday um, in, in the first round against Portland. Obviously, the Blazers are not nearly as good as Golden State, um, but I was happy to see Drew Holiday kind of break through a little bit, and if he can maintain that next year, like say, if uh, AD plays at a MVP caliber, um, and they can add a couple pieces, they could be dangerous as well. Um, what about prediction? The, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just, just going to say, I think the question mark for the Pelicans is uh, Nikola Mirotic played really well, mm-hmm. and Demarcus Cousins should be coming back. I just, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do there. I don't know if they try and trade Demarcus Cousins. I, I just, I'm not sure what is going to happen in that situation. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people talked about how you know, imagine how good they'd be with Cousins, but. Honestly, I think we've seen from Cousins' track record that he doesn't necessarily always make a team better. I would be hesitant to break the bank to keep Cousins. I think there's other things you can add to build around, you know, Miritich and AD uh, than be stuck on Cousins. Some people are going to agree with me, disagree with me big time on that, but that's, that's just how I view it. Yeah, and I mean, they could do like the Jazz do. We didn't think that Favors and Gobert could play together. Yep. But, I mean, they play together for a little bit, but for the most part, they just kind of offset each other. Gobert will play center, and then when he comes out, Favors will go in and play center. And maybe they could find a way to get a balance like that, because I think the one thing we learned is Anthony Davis is better when he plays center. But when they play together, Marcus Cousins is the center, so you're taking him out and putting him in a worse situation. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, what about your predictions for the conference finals? What do you think is going to happen in these two series? Oh, jeez. Um... Cleveland, Boston. I think Cleveland wins. I mean, I just—I've never voted against LeBron James. Yeah. When, whenever I have to bet on a player, I bet on LeBron James and trust that he'll win. I—I I can't imagine a scenario where he loses. I mean, Boston did surprise me in that last series, and they looked really, really good. I think they have the obvious coaching advantage, but I don't think that is enough to overcome a LeBron James-led team. So I think it'll be a longer series. I don't think this is a four or five game series, maybe six, seven. But I do think Cleveland wins that series. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I'm going Cavs in six in that one. I really do think that Brad Stevens will have a good game plan for LeBron James. He always seems to game plan well. Uh, But at the end of the day, he's one of those guys that you can only do so much game planning against because he'll figure out a way to beat you, as we saw, you know, in in both the first rounds, both, sorry, both the, the first two series so far. Um, how about uh, Warriors Rockets? What are you thinking there? This is the one I can't decide. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, I was looking at it just—I was looking at regular season numbers to see if I could find any advantage for one team or the other, and they are just so similar. Um, so their offensive rating, for example, during the regular season, Golden State's offensive rating was 112.3. Houston's offensive rating was 112.2. Their defensive rating, Golden State's was 104.2, Houston's was 103.8. And just offense and defense, they're so similar. Yeah. At the end of the day, I would go with Golden State because they've been there, they've done that. And I look at each individual spot to see who has the advantage. So Steph Curry, Chris Paul, maybe you just call it a wash. Clay Thompson, James Harden, you probably give it to James Harden. Clint Capella, Draymond Green, I would probably give it to Draymond Green. But then who guards Kevin Durant? Yep. I, I just think he's the difference maker in this series. I don't think anybody can stop Kevin Durant. I think Trevor Ariza is a, a good defender, and he's got the length that he can maybe bother Kevin Durant. But I just think he's going to make the difference in this series, and I think Golden State's going to win. Yeah. So um, 
I'm as sick a, a Golden State as anyone, but you know, I honestly, I don't feel like, at least in my mind, I really feel like they're going to win uh, pretty handily. May go to six games, but I mean, you just look at, you got James Harden and Chris Paul are great players. They're great pieces, um, but I just feel like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry have the edge over them. Obviously, they're both former MVPs. Um, like you said, the, the Rockets don't really have anybody that can stop Kevin Durant. And I know that they were pretty evenly matched in the regular season. Uh, you know, I, I know that Houston beat them in the regular season as well. Um, but this is a totally different animal. I feel like that the Warriors, they just ramp it up in the playoffs. And the other thing, too, is all the pressure right now is on Houston. Because I know Houston has home court advantage. We'll see what happens in game one. Um, but, you know, if Houston loses that game one, right away, like, all the pressure is on them. It already kind of is. But especially if they lose that game one. Whereas the Warriors, like, they literally have no pressure right now. They just got to come out, and if they win game one or two, they're just fine. And I don't know. I just I don't see a scenario where the where the Rockets beat them. That's just my thinking, anyway. Yeah, I think with Houston, like you talk about the pressure that they're going to be facing. They also have players who have pressure. I mean, James Harden is probably going to be the MVP, mm-hmm. which carries a lot of pressure to win. Uh, Chris Paul, obviously, just for his legacy, he's never gotten this far into the playoffs before. Um, so I wonder what pressure he's going to be facing. Mike, Mike D'Antoni, similarly, has never really gotten this far into the playoffs, and he's all three of them have a history of just blowing up in the playoffs. Yeah. And I wonder if that pressure is going to get to them. And I think we also the thing that maybe is underrated, and it's something that we talked a lot about as Jazz fans when they were playing Houston, they're probably not going to get the same whistle that they got against us. Yeah. And I, I don't, we did not lose because of the referees. And I get that out of the way. I hate when people say that. I don't feel like referees can really dictate a game or a series over the large course of things. But James Harden, especially, a big part of his game is I'm going to get to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. I mean, he took 10 free throws a game. He shot over the last five years. I can't remember the TNT graphic. It was like 1,500 more than anybody else or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's so many more free throws. Mm-hmm. And the further along you get in the playoffs, the less times you're going to get the whistle. The referees just seem to allow more contact. They allow it to be a bit more physical as you go into the playoffs. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to get the same whistle. And I wonder if that's going to get into their heads because James Harden and Chris Paul also complain a lot to the referees, mm-hmm. which is really frustrating to watch. It's one of the reasons I, I hate watching really them. enjoy watching that series. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just wonder if that gets into their heads as well and, and messes up with the way that they play. And and going back to the mentality thing, you know, I know I've talked about this quite a bit, but remember, you know, back in the day there was kind of this rivalry, but it wasn't really a rivalry between the Warriors and the Clippers because the Warriors always dominated it. How much do you think that's going to impact Chris Paul mentally? You know, when he was with the Clippers, he could never, ever, ever get past this Warriors team. And now, yes, he's on a new squad, but I feel like part of that mentality, part of that that thought process is still going to linger with him. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why, kind of what you said, game one is going to be really important. Mm-hmm. Because if Houston can win game one, I think a lot of that goes away. Yeah. Because then you can relax a little bit. Like, okay, we, we defended home court. We got that win. Now let's just play basketball. Mm-hmm. But if they lose... I do think it's going to be build. It's going to build, and that's going to be a big storyline going forward. I agree. That's a really good way to put it. Well, cool. So there's our, our thoughts and predictions for a conference finals. I'm honestly looking forward to both series, even though I do think it will be Cavs-Warriors again in the finals, which kind of disappoints me. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that really things get, you know, kind of um, that they're closely contested and they're exciting series. So I can't wait to see what happens there. Uh, with that said, let's move on now to point number three, uh, getting back to the Utah Jazz and what they need to do this offseason. season. 
point three. All right, point number three, getting back to the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, obviously, John, we saw that, like you said, I think that the Jazz are pretty much the clear third best team in the West, um, you know, especially if they can stay healthy and they can keep improving internally. But I want to ask you, what do you think their focuses need to be this offseason? What do they need to do to close that gap even further um, to hopefully get even closer to the likes of Houston and Golden State? What do you see them needing to do this summer and offseason? Um, I think the obvious focus is just going to be shooting wherever they can get it. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about getting a playmaking player, and I think that would be a really good thing. But if you're getting a playmaker, I think you need to focus on one who can shoot the three as well, not just get to the basket. Agreed. Um, or either I mean, a stretch four is brought up, a three and D wing would be nice, but it really just we need to increase the shooting on this team. And the one thing I kept noticing in that Rocket series was Chris Paul or James Harden would drive, and then they were kicking the ball to just multiple players. P.J. Tucker killed us. P.J. Tucker. I mean, they're kicking the ball to players who can't shoot the three yeah. and are reliable three-point shooters. When Donovan Mitchell drove the ball, he was kicking the ball to, and I love these guys, but Royce O'Neal, Hal Neto, Jay Crowder, guys who just, they can make a three, but they're not really consistent three-point shooters. Yeah. And I think that was a big difference in this series is I don't feel like I felt like with the way the offense was going, we were moving the ball well, we were getting pretty effective shots, but we just didn't have guys who could make them. Yeah, I think that needs to be a big primary focus this offseason. Yeah, especially, I mean, obviously we have Joe Ingles, um, who's a great three-point shooter, um, but it's kind of like when he's struggling, there's no one else we can really turn to that's a knockdown three-point shooter, so I, I agree with you 100%. And he did struggle in some of those games in the Houston series. Not only that, but Ingles still has a tendency to be a little bit too timid sometimes, um, so really adding just a confident knockdown three-point shooter, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, one guy that I wrote about him recently, John, I, I just keep thinking about him. I know that he's not a, a sexy name or a huge pickup, um, but I, I would really like to see the Jazz go after Glenn Robinson III. And obviously he missed a lot of this past season with an ankle injury, um, but you look at his shooting, he's gone up the last three years, he's improved his three-point shooting, he was up to 41% this past year. And I think he could be kind of a jack-of-all-trades where he checks the three-point shooting box. He checks the playmaking box. You know, last season he showed, you know, a lot of versatility as a playmaker getting to the rim. And he's also a plus defender. On top of all that, because of him coming off injury, because his stats were low this past year, because he kind of fell out of the rotation in Indiana, I think the Jazz could get him extremely cheap and they develop him. I just, I feel like he has a lot of promise of being kind of an under-the-radar pickup that Jazz could get to check a lot of those boxes. I think so. That's a name I hadn't really thought of. I, I've seen you mention him a few times, though, and he's he definitely fits the bill of a 3 and D wing. Someone who's very athletic, can play defense, but then on the other end can uh, hit a three, get to the basket. I mean, we know he's athletic. I think he, I believe, he won the dunk contest two years ago. Yes, he did. Uh huh. So, I mean, we know he's athletic. Um, so, that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Um, so, I, I wrote a list of some players that I think would be interesting to go after aggressively this offseason okay i'm just going to read you this list stop me when you hear a name that interests you okay uh mario Vizzoni. love it 9.6 points last year 34 percent from three he's very athletic i don't know if a lot of people know this um the reason i like him so much is before he was drafted he did a dunk contest in europe and won but his winning dunk, he wore a Darth Vader mask. 
anybody who can do that is good in my book. That's awesome. Um, I, I do think he'd be a good player, though. He's very young. He's good on defense. He is primarily a three, but he's also six eight and pretty strong. So he played a lot of four for Orlando. And, and, he, and he, just real fast, and he had success at the four. I saw a lot of things on Twitter, Magic fans talking about how well he played at the four spot. Yeah, and, and that was my thinking, is if we need a stretch four or someone who can kind of switch between both positions, I think he would be a good idea. Um, he's an unrestricted free agent, so he should be available. The Orlando Magic can't just match any contract. The next one, I know you don't really like this person, but I know a lot of Jazz fans would be interested, and that's Jabari Parker. Mm-hmm. I know you're not a fan. I'm not sure if I'm... <laughs> Huge on him. I, just, I know he's just oozing with potential, though. Yeah. I mean, he's had those two ACL tears, which is worrisome, but it also means that maybe the Milwaukee Bucks are a little bit worried about him as well, and you can get him for a cheaper contract that you might not have thought was available. Um, but we have to remember, last year before he tore his ACL, he was averaging 20 points a game. I mean, he is a good, young, athletic player. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've thought about him very much. These are a bunch of names going forward are guys who we can get them with the money that we have available. Uh, Joe Harris from Brooklyn. I like Joe Harris. He surprised me. I I was just looking up his numbers. He averaged 10.8 points and shot 42% from three. I had no idea he was that good of a three-point shooter. Yeah. And 42%, that's incredible. So the Jazz could use a player like him off the bench. He's an unrestricted free agent as well, so we could just offer him anything we want. Um, Doug McDermott, Dougie McBuckets, I think he'd be fun. I, I the three, but could play the four. Yeah, I, I, I like him. His defense worries me a little bit, um, but other than that, yes, I definitely agree. Yeah, and I think as a player just coming off the bench, he's a career forty percent shooter. I don't know if you want him starting any games for you. If he's a starter. I don't think you're a winning basketball team. Yeah. Not likely. Uh, but he's a good player. I, I know a lot of Jazz fans have brought up Will Barton as a potential target out of Denver. Um, and it, it shocked me how much money he's making. Um, last season, he only made like $3.4 million. Mm-hmm. So that's an extremely affordable player who averaged 15 points a game. And also, he got five rebounds and four assists a game off the bench. So, I mean, those are the main players that I saw that I liked. There's people out there. There's options that we can get to increase the shooting for this team. I think the the focus is going to be, not the focus, but the question is going to be, what position do you want? Do we need a stretch four, or do we need a 3 and D player, or do we need someone who can really kind of help with Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell and create more playmaking? Yeah. So let me just give my quick thoughts real fast on those guys you brought up. Um, Hazonia, I actually agree with you. I really like him. I think he could be had on a good deal, and I think he's someone that has a ton of untapped potential that Jazz could help him reach. I think personality, style-wise, he'd fit really well. Not to mention, we've seen a lot of players leave Orlando and blossom. I mean, look at Victor Oladipo, look at Tobias Harris. Maybe Hazonia follows that trajectory. Um, Jabari Parker, honestly, it's not that I like dislike Jabari Parker. I just I don't feel like his reward is going to be as high as the risk both from how much he would cost and his injury history. Um, on top of that, I don't know. Obviously, he's restricted, so I think it'd be hard for the Jazz to get him. I just, I'm just, i just a little uncomfortable about them putting all their eggs in one basket with Jabari when there's so many question marks there. Um, yeah, I, I, I put Jabari, but honestly, when I looked at it, I think it's 
going to take a max contract to get him. Mm-hmm. And I would not want him on a max contract. Yeah. That, I guess the, only, the only way I'd be okay with it is if somehow like he was willing to accept less than that. Yeah. I guess my biggest thing there, you know, John, is not that I dislike him. I just, I just wanted the Jazz to be cautious before spending too much on him. Is the biggest thing there. Um, let's see. You mentioned um, Will Barton. Um, I, I like Will Barton. I worry a little bit about his personality meshing with the Jazz. I worry about him being kind of like a, a better version of Alec Burks. And I do think he's going to be quite a bit more expensive. There were rumors that he turned down a pretty hefty extension with Denver. Whether that means he just wants out of Denver, whether that means he thinks he's worth more money, I guess remains to be seen. Um, but I, I, there's a lot to like about him, don't get me wrong, but I do have a couple concerns with him. Um, remind who was the other player you brought up? Um, we got Joe Harris, Doug McDermott. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, li- I like Joe Harris a lot. Uh, McDermott already touched on it. I like him, um, as you said, as a bench player. Then two others that I kind of have on my list. I These guys mostly for their shooting, and again, I don't know if the position makes sense per se, um, but I would like the Jazz to look at Fred Van Vliet, obviously the, the Raptors' backup point guard. Um, and then he's not a great defender either, but Nemanja Bjelica, uh for the Timberwolves, great three-point shooter, um, has some size, could play some stretch four. Um, if he could improve on defense, he could be good. Uh, going back to Van Vliet real fast, though, I know that the Jazz you know, have a lot of guards. Obviously, our backcourt is, is pretty stacked and, and pretty set. Um, but I just feel like a guy like Van Vliet that actually knows how to run an offense um, can shoot the three ball well. I believe he was uh, about 41% or so from three this past year. And he's just tough as all get out. He's the kind of guy that I feel like fits the Jazz mold and could provide them with some much needed shooting. Yeah, I do like Fred Van Vliet. I think the thing that would worry me about him is just his size. Yeah, I agree. I know he's a very undersized player. And I, just, I don't know if he'd be able to stay on the floor. But I guess the thing is, a lot of players on our team, because of Rudy Gobert, can stay on the floor. Mm-hmm. So... He'd be a good idea. Point guards, we do have a lot of point guards, but Hal Neto is a player who I've always really liked, mm-hmm. but I don't know if the Jazz are going to bring him back next year. Yeah. So there is going to be a guard position open, and Fred Van Vliet would be a good option to fill that. Um, I just had a few other players that I was just, I was just exploring and found a couple of names that I thought would be interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Wayne, Ellington, Wayne Ellington for Miami. Mm-hmm. He's a bit older. He's going to be turning 31 but he scored 11 points a game on 39% shooting from three. Um, and this is one that I don't think we're going to have the money, but I'm not, I don't know, he's getting a little bit older, but J.J. Reddick is going to be available. It's, he only signed a one-year deal with Philadelphia, but it was for $23 million. Yeah. I don't know like what his market is and how much people are going to be willing to offer him, but and he really seems like the perfect player for the Jazz in their system. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he commands on the, on the open market and whether or not he'd be willing to come to Utah. Obviously, there, there's some interesting history there with the, this last Clippers series and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, the shooting fit is, is obvious. Um, also, along with J.J. Redick, Marco Bellinelli might be a good option. Uh, kind of a similar mold. He's getting a little bit older, but he's historically always been able to shoot the three and score off the bounce. He came from a similar system. He played in San Antonio for a long time, so I think he wouldn't be a problem meshing with our guys and playing on our system. Yeah. Um, he's also much more affordable than J.J. Redick. Um, he was a buyout option, only made about $5 million a year. So there are a lot of options out there for the Jazz. I don't think there's as many big names. I don't know if there's any sexy names out there. But it could be like last year where we brought in players like Pavel Sepalosha, someone who people didn't think was that exciting, but he had a big impact for our team. And I think that's the type of player we're going to go after. Yeah, I agree. I almost think the Jazz would be wise to avoid you know, trying to make too big of a splash this summer. 
and really waiting till 2019. And you think about it, you know, we really outperformed expectations this year. A lot of people expected this to be kind of a growing pains year, which in some ways it was, but we were able to, you know, kind of get past those. And I think, you know, we have one more year where we kind of keep our guys mostly intact. We see what we have and we really focus on internal improvement this year with getting our guys better, adding a few complementary pieces. And then 2019 is when we really, really strike and try to make more of a blockbuster move or, or a big splash. Because you think about it, like there's a lot of questions facing the Jazz as far as how they can get better internally. I mean, can Rubio continue to improve his shot? Can Donovan Mitchell add more to his game? Can Rudy Gobert add a little more offense as we've talked about? Um, Can Dante Exum take a leap and stay healthy? Can Jay Crowder, you know, being able to be in training camp with the Jazz, can he get more assimilated into their system and be better off the bench? A lot of these guys that are good right now could still improve and that alone could take Utah to another level. You add in a couple role player type guys with that internal improvement and say we have a, you know, say in 2018, we're the third seed or, you know, we take Houston to game seven or something like that in, in the playoffs. All of a sudden, you know, we're looking at what we have and we can really analyze, okay, what do we need to keep? What do we need to change? We know where we're at really well now. And then in 2019, they make their big splash. That's kind of what I'd like to see happen this next year. Yeah, no, I think it the now head that if the Jazz have been healthy this year, I mean, how many games do they win? Mm-hmm. I think. I've heard it floating around there that they're probably a mid-50 win team, 54, 55. I don't think that's unrealistic if Rudy Gobert doesn't miss, what was it, 26 games? Yeah. So internal development could be everything that we need this year. Donovan Mitchell is only going to get better, which I can't tell you how often I forgot he was a rookie this year, which is just so exciting for the future. He's only going to get better. I think the big thing, we talk about the three-point shooting, Donovan Mitchell's going to be a big part of that. He's going to learn and develop probably more of an off-the-bounce three from above the break, um, which would be incredible. Ricky Rubio, one year with the Jazz, and over the second half of the year, he shot 42% from three, I believe, which is, I don't think that's sustainable, but I do think that another summer with our coaches, with our development team, maybe he increases to a consistent 35 36% three-point shooter. So a lot of this is just going to be internal development. I don't, I don't think I really want the Jazz to go out and get a big-name player that could throw out our culture and kind of ripple the water. But there are players that I think they can target who can just be off-the-bench role players, give us some more shooting, and won't really rock the boat. I don't know if you've looked much into the draft this upcoming year. Because that could be a big part of it. Maybe we target someone in the draft who can help us. Yeah, for sure. Um, the draft is always an exciting time for the Jazz because we just we never know what Dennis Lindsay is going to do. It's just so stressful. <laughs> He's made so many trades, but they're always good. Uh, I saw a few names that were just hovering around where the Jazz are picking. Lonnie Walker uh, from Miami, Chandler Hutchinson from Boise State, Aaron Holiday from UCLA. Um, there's interesting names out there, and I think the Jazz are going to make the good decisions to help the team progress next year. Yeah, I agree. And one thing you, you touched on that I think will be just huge for the Jazz is if Donovan Mitchell can add, like you said, a more reliable three-point shot, especially above the break, he is just going to be absolutely deadly. Teams are not going to know how to stop him between you know a three-point shot and his ability to get to the rim and finish. That's going to be awesome. So, that yeah, that's a huge part of the internal improvement for sure. Kind of last thing I want to touch on regarding the Jazz offseason, obviously they have a big decision facing them regarding Derek Favors, um, or, or maybe it's better to say that Derek Favors has a big decision because ultimately he gets to pick whether he stays or goes. Um, I'll give my thoughts real fast, John, on, on Derek Favors, and I want to hear you chime in as well. I honestly hope the Jazz find a way to keep Derek Favors. 
Uh, one, because I love the guy, uh, but two, because I think that, you know, even though he can be a little bit unheralded, I think he is really an important part of this team. Um, with that being said, I hope that they, they keep him with either a one-year deal or one of those kind of one-plus-one contracts where the second year is is like is like a team option, for example. And why I think that is, you know, I think Favors may have a hard time finding the money offer he wants to get this year. Obviously, you know, this summer the um, money's pretty hard to come by for a lot of teams. Um, not only that, but I think there's a part of him that wants to see how far this Jazz team can go. And so if the Jazz were to do a one-year or a one-plus-one, um, that way he could kind of have the best of both worlds. The Jazz will likely, you know, assuming they don't go out and add somebody that's really expensive, they could probably even afford to overpay favors a little bit for this one year. And that kind of makes him feel better about staying. He gets, you know, make more money. He gets to see how this Jazz thing goes. And then next year, if we decide, look, we do need to add a stretch four, or if favors is like, okay, look, we, we went far, but I need to go out and get a long-term contract somewhere before I'm too old, they can really talk about that and make a good decision. They'll have the option you know, if it is a one plus one and they, the jazz can really make the best decision for both them and favors, but they get to keep him for one more year to see if he really is going to work well with Gobert and with Rubio. Now that those three have worked out their chemistry. So that's what I'd like to see happen. Um, at least for 2018. Um, what are your thoughts though? Do you, do you want to see the jazz keep favors or do you think it's time to move on? Um, I'd like to see him keep them. I've always really liked their favors. I think he messes really well with our guys. He likes Utah. I think that's a big key. He likes it here in Utah. And if you can get players who enjoy playing here, we want them here. Yeah. I This is years ago, but I remember Dennis Lindsay during the offseason making a comment that it was about how free agents and they don't really want to come and play in Utah because there's no nightlife or whatever. And he said, if they don't want to, if they don't want to live in Utah, we don't want them to play in Utah. And I just always remember that. It's like, why would we want somebody who doesn't really like Utah? Mm-hmm. And Derek Favors is a guy who likes Utah. He's good for our culture and our environment. Um, I think what you said is a, a big point, is what does he want? Does he want a longer-term deal, or does he want a shorter-term deal? Because right now he's 26. Most people, most players, don't want to be a free agent once they're 30. They'd rather they'd rather get that long-term deal before they're 30. Mm-hmm. So could the Jazz sign him for... I mean, maybe a three-year deal with an opt-out after two years so he can hit the market once again at 20, 29 years old. I think that would be ideal. I think the price is going to be a big thing. I don't know how many players in the NBA right now or how many teams in the NBA right now want a traditional four. I mean, it's just not really in bad. Most people want that stretch four, the guy who can shoot the ball, and that's not really Derek Favors. No. I mean, if he would just embrace being a center, I think he could maybe get himself some more money. But from everything I've heard him say, he really views himself as a power forward. And it's going to be hard for him to get the type of money that he, I think he wants. Um, I could see the Jazz signing him for maybe $12, 13000000 a year. And I think that might be the most he's going to get on the open market. So if he likes Utah and wants to stay here, and that's the most money he's probably going to get somewhere else as well. If another team is going to offer him $12 million and Utah is willing to offer that as well, I think ultimately he'll choose to stay in Utah. Yeah, I can see that. There is talk of you know maybe um, one of the teams with cap space like Phoenix or Dallas or Atlanta, you know, someone along those lines, does kind of go out on a ledge and offer him a hefty deal. But like you say, that that's pure speculation, especially with him kind of trying to be a hybrid 4-5, um, when really I agree that I think he's best suited as the 5. But even in his exit interview, you know, him himself in his end-of-year interview, he said that he sees himself as, as a 4. 
And yes, he's tried to add that three-point shooting, but it, it's far from his game. But I don't know. Going to be really interesting to see. I I don't know. I, I hope that he, he stays. And like you said, I think that if the money's the same, he'd be foolish to, to go to a lottery team and leave this Jazz team behind. Um, but going to be interesting to see how it plays out, how it all plays out. I'm really looking forward to seeing that this summer. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot going on. I think a big thing for the Jazz and their decision-making as well is going to be if we let him go, who we're replacing him with. That's true. Do we have a legitimate option to replace him? And if the answer is no, are we willing to offer him maybe a few more million to get him to stay? Because we do have, I believe I saw the number was about $17 million this year available. Um, so if we can get him for $14 million and then get another player on a minimum contract, I don't know. Do we do that just to keep him? Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I don't know. It's going to be fun to see what plays out there. And yeah, replacing him is, would be the challenging part. Um, but I, I, the good thing is we have Dennis Lindsay, and I trust that he has plans up his sleeve for all these different circumstances and scenarios. So it'll be fun to see. But anyway, with that being said, John, I think that's where we'll wrap it up for today. Thanks so much for joining the show, man. It was awesome to have you on. Yeah, I appreciate being on. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we'll look forward to doing it again here soon. Um, guys, make sure you're following um, at the J Notes on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're keeping up with uh, thejnotes.com as well. Um, give both John and I a follow uh, on Twitter as well to keep up with all that we're writing, and we'll look forward to hearing from you guys next time. In the meantime, looking forward to the offseason, and, and let's go Jazz.